Happy Mother's Day. Oh my gosh, this is a, a special Mother's Day because my mom is here from Northeast Ohio. And what is crazy is we moved down here 26 years ago and I've only spent two Mother's Day with her and it was last year and this year. And so she's staying with us and what an honor. Um, I hope you all get a chance to greet her. I'm always reminded on Mother's Day, you know, if you go back and you look at the beginning of the book of Genesis, that we're reminded that we're all made in God's image. And it says he created them male and female. You know, one of the things that just really frustrates me about the history of our faith is how often women have been excluded or thought of as less than. And thank God we're making some progress in the world we live in because I think women are some of the most astounding uh, reflections of God on the face of the planet. And just the things that mothers endure and the ways that they love, um, it has made this world so beautiful and good. And so I just want you to know this male pastor knows that we would not understand God's nature or see God moving in the world if it wasn't for females who were reflecting God's image too. So thank you. So this morning, um, we're going to talk about the line in the Apostles' Creed called, We Believe in the Holy Spirit. And, um, you know, this creed, we took it on and said, I took it on. I was like, this is a challenge, but could this speak to us in some way? Because, you know, we don't have a whole lot of statements of our faith. And I get asked a lot, what are we grounded in? And, you know, what do we kind of stand on at the end of the day? So as I begin to look at this Apostles' Creed, I begin to see, wow, this is telling a story of a way to think about reality that I actually think makes us better human beings and makes the world a better place. And I begin to approach it from that. How is this story giving us something that we can ground our lives in? And, um, you know, I re-engaged with this in such a, a meaningful way. And so I've just been taking these lines and we've, you know, we've covered, uh, we've covered uh, we believe in the Father, the Maker. Um, there's like three parts to this creed. Then we believe in Jesus Christ, the Son, and our Lord. And now we're going to move to the part of the creed that says, we believe in the Holy Spirit. And so some of these lines have been challenging. We even covered the virgin birth. Like, what does that mean in the modern world? They were ancients. Uh, people who wrote this in the second, third, and fourth century. And what does that mean to a modern world? And so we, we're wrestling with all those things and going, how does this matter to us? And so here's, what I, here's just what I'm learning to trust in. And I want you guys to know this, that every generation wrestles with things like this that um, something ancient can be ever new if each generation asks honest questions about it and is willing to go, maybe there's a new understanding, the way this can evolve and grow in our life. Um, maybe there's some things we need to let go of and go, hey, they understood it in this way because that's the world they lived in, and, but here's the way we now understand it. So uh, I love the fact that the creed was written. It's not something that's static. It's something that's dynamic. And I read to you guys in the first time we did this, um, the Mossy Creed in 1960, these African people who rewrote their creed in their context and their culture and kind of took it and made it their own. And I'm like, we could do that too in our little church in Bellevue. And so that's kind of what we've been trying to do. But what does this story say about us? This story says this. It says that none of us are here on accident. And we experience life and we're different 
human beings when we believe that or trust in that or when we don't. When we believe that we're here on purpose and all of creation was intended for a purpose and there's some meaning behind it, um, it actually makes our lives more meaningful. And so that's where this creed has been so helpful to me. We're all made in God's image and we have inherent worth and dignity. But the other thing I'm kind of waking up to, we also have a responsibility. When we become more deeply aware of the inherent worth and dignity, then we have the responsibility of seeing that in one another and believing in that in some really difficult places in the world that we live in, that it's possible for all of us to, uh, to arrive at that. So the creed maybe in some ways is stirring up challenging things, which this morning I'm going to be honest about mine. Um, I had someone, we, we did communion a few weeks ago, and uh, someone came up to me and said, I get triggered when we do this. And I'm like, why? And it was something from her past and something that she had experienced in her church at a young age that she felt condemned by it. So I know as someone who believes in practicing these kinds of ritual, rituals and things of faith, that if we're all being honest, maybe there's some things that to us might be beautiful, but someone else might be triggering them in some way. So we, we just need to be honest about those kinds of things. But I was able to have a conversation with her and because I, I would never have given thought that that would be something that would be discomforting to someone. But isn't it crazy, the experience of life and what it does to our hearts and, and how we might perceive things? Okay, so here's what I want to do. Um, this line in the Creed, we believe in the Holy Spirit. I'm going to start right at the beginning of the Bible, and I want to um, want to just take a look at some of these words for spirit. And uh, I'm going to read out of the Genesis chapter 1. And I always love starting here in the beginning. It says, in the beginning... God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the water. So the Bible starts in the very first couple verses of the Bible. The Spirit of God is present. Now that word gets translated, it's this rude word, ruach. I'm gonna, you guys are learning a Hebrew word this morning. Everyone say ruach with me. Ruach. Yeah, and um, it's a very powerful world, word. It means uh, spirit, breath, wind. So when we first see this word spirit, it's translated ruach. And some of the interesting things about this word is that it was thought of as the breath of God's voice. And so when you say it, ruach, it actually involves your lungs and your breath to say it. So, uh, you know, Hebrew, Jewish boys, even Jesus would have said this word ruach. It would have reminded them of breath and spirit deep within. So the Christian tradition calls this creative power the Holy Spirit. So right at the very beginning, there is something that says spirit is about what creation comes through and what makes us alive. And if you go to chapter 2 in Genesis, um, this is what God does. Then God... Uh, the Lord God formed men from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living being. So, um, how many of you ever called someone a dirtbag? That was a popular word. When I, anyone call someone that? That is the most theological correct phrase you could ever call somebody. Um, that was like a popular, you know, when you were little in junior high, like a bad word. Like, you're a dirtbag, you know? Um, that is so true. Like, when you think about the chemical makeup, of our human bodies, 
They're just basic chemicals. It's dust, it's dirt, it's water. And so there is this uh, fragility and this brevity to what makes us up. But then there's this breath of, of life that's breathed into us, and we become these animated living beings. So right from the beginning, the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, the creative power that created the world and formed men and made men and women today, don't want to forget that, men and women, um, the Spirit that breathed into us and made us alive is what we're calling the Holy Spirit. So, um, you know, starting from just that place is a good grounding place to start. Um, and then the New Testament begins to teach us other things about the Holy Spirit, but I wanted to, I wanted to make sure we start here. So um, a couple things about this. Spirit's connected to aliveness. Um, the breath we take every moment is a breath that could be a reminder of God's presence in our lives. Um, I'm learning to trust that more. Um, yesterday, when I was struggling to find what I needed to do what I needed to do, there was this moment where I just paused and I took some deep breaths. And I'm like, God, I believe that's a reminder of your nearness to me. So I took those breaths in and I tried to savor them and, and to feel them. But when you think about how important breathing is to the human experience, and then you connect that maybe in a way that is a reminder of God's presence in our lives, I think there's something really beautiful that happens in that. But just if you want to do a study on physiology of breathing, fascinating. Um, the things you will find because they say that 99% of our energy comes from our breathing. You know how much human beings actually access? About 20%. Like we don't even know how to breathe properly. So if we learned how to breathe more properly from the diaphragm and thought about our breathing more often, we probably would have more energy um, to live. Um, my son-in-law, Zach's a chiropractor, and um, one of the doctors that works for him, she, she was adjusting me, and she goes, geez, you don't breathe. And like her big thing is breathing. And I was like, oh my gosh, yeah. Like, um, you know, as she was adjusting me, I wasn't breathing. And so I'm constantly reminding, reminding myself that breath is actually something that gives me energy. So where does that breath come from? You guys, it comes from the source of life, which is God, which the Christian tradition has called the Holy Spirit. So, you know how many uh, breaths we take a day? Anyone want to take a guess? 20,000 plus breaths a day. Um, we inhale 11,000 liters. Yes, I'm a nerd that looks up this stuff on the internet. 11,000 liters of air every day. And if I could put that down in your context, that is about 5,500, two liters of Coke or Mountain Dew, whatever. That's how much air we breathe every day. So breath is just absolutely essential. There's something sacred about the act of breathing. So for us who are grounded in this thing, this tradition that says we believe in the Holy Spirit, that's where we begin. Okay, now I want to flip to John. I'm going to the New Testament. I'm going to give you, Jesus spoke this word spirit, and the first time he said it, I want to read that to you. Um, let's see here. John chapter 20, this is after uh, Jesus was resurrected and he appears to the, the disciples in the, um, through locked doors. But again, Jesus said, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. So the Greek, I mean, the Hebrew word for spirit was ruach. 
the Greek word for spirit is pneuma. Everyone say that, pneuma. Pneuma, yeah. So when Jesus is saying that here, he breathed on them, pneuma, and he said, receive the Holy Spirit. So even for Jesus, the Holy Spirit was something that was actually very present and powerful. So what is the work of the Spirit beginning to do in the New Testament? It is beginning to teach us the way of Jesus and guides our lives. So Jesus is like, he's like, I've been doing this with you 12. Now there's going to be some kind of powerful presence that you can breathe in and you could be more aware of. And it's not just going to be something that we do as us 12. This is going to be something that's going to go to the ends of the earth. So in the very early days of the church, these 12 disciples or 120 that were following, they began to teach this message that, yes, the human being is animated by this presence and this power, and when we are open to it, everything changes around us. So the New Testament begins to move in that. Now, here's what um, one of my commentaries said. I want to read this to you. It says, when we speak about the Holy Spirit, we are speaking of God's active work in our lives, of God's way of leading us, guiding us, forming and shaping us. And in listening to this voice and being shaped by this power, we find that we become more fully and authentically human. And that's a big thing that you hear a lot from me because I think that's actually what Jesus was inviting us to, not to be these people that float on clouds, but to be the God-bearing, image-bearing human beings that God made us to be. So when we are open to the presence of God's Spirit in our life in some way, we're becoming more fully human, authentically more human in the way that we were made to be. So absolutely essential to us becoming who God, who God is making us to be. Now, I just want to take one quick pause here. Um, and I want to ask you guys, how many have had some teaching or some experience with the church on the Holy Spirit. Could you just lift up your hand? Okay, put it up high. Don't, don't be ashamed. I mean, like, okay. Okay, um, let me ask this. Um, how many um, had something in your past that um, turned you off? Like the, the teaching of that in some way or the practice of that was something that was discouraging to your faith? Just lift up your hand. Because I'm putting up mine. Okay. Oh, wow, there's only a couple of us here in the room. Um, I uh, grew up in a charismatic Pentecostal culture, and, um, which I'm absolutely grateful for because one of the things that charismatic cultures do emphasize and teach on is the presence of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And what I love about it is that there was a time in our mainline worship churches where we just went through dead rituals and you know, we followed these particular routines. And then there was this, these, what they called moves of God of uh, charismatic experiences where people began to awaken and become alive in their faith. And they weren't just going through rituals, but they were experiencing God's very real presence in some way that was awakening their hearts, awakening their spiritual lives. And so you go study a lot of that history. And I, like I said, I'm a nerd. I study church history. And there are all these different waves of that. But... One of the things that was always challenged to me as a kid was that um, I was taught in a lot of those cultures that if you, you know, if you didn't speak in tongues, you weren't filled with God's spirit. And um, so I was encountering people as I got older who didn't practice that particular thing. And we're going to read that in just a moment. But yet I couldn't deny that the presence of God's spirit was with them. 
And so that was always kind of a challenge. So one of the maybe negative ways that it was taught to me is that you don't have the Spirit of God unless you have some of these spiritual gifts that I'm going to read to you here in just a few moments. And so in some ways, um, that was somewhat discouraging to me and somewhat limiting. Now, it wasn't necessarily the way I was taught. It was the way that I was hearing it. And so I just want you to know that for some people, this comes with some baggage because there are a couple different ways that people think about this is that there are some people that all they emphasize is these gifts and the Holy Spirit, and then there are some that run from them and deny them entirely. And I don't think either of those are the, you know, the most helpful way. I think there, there is a way that we, should, we could be able to practice that maybe meets that somewhere in the middle. But let me do this. Let me read what the Bible says about some of these spiritual gifts, because these are things for the church. It's found in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 12. You guys okay? Everyone still with me? I'm just kind of... You guys are going like, wow, <laughs> what did we come to today? Um, I, I told myself I wasn't going to ignore these, these parts that are challenging for me. Okay, so listen to this. Um, uh, this is at the end of uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 12. And this is talking about, now we're beginning to talk about there's this inherent presence of God's spirit. It's okay, Megan. I, I love it. When, when that happens, it's like God emphasizing my point. That's just the way I look at it. So, um, But now we're beginning to see that the spirit actually is active in some way that helps build the church. One of the things that we're going to do this summer, like the holy grail for pastors is when people really begin to connect in intimate ways and begin to care about each other's lives. And so, you know, right now, myself and our, our leaders are going to kind of thinking through what do we do this summer to help us do that? What do we do this summer that can help us bring all of our gifts and all of our spiritual gifts in some way that could help this church grow? So we're praying about that and working on that. But that is something that the, the Spirit is present in and, and can actually show up through us when we become more aware of the gifts that we have and the way that we could help uh, the church grow. And what I mean by the church grow is not necessarily people in these seats here, but the kingdom of God. And um, we're going to see here that it, God actually works through his body. That's you and I. So here's what this says right here. It says, now you are the body of Christ and each one of you is, is part of it. And God has placed in the church first all apostles and prophets and teachers and miracles then gifts of healing, of helping, of guidance, of different kinds of tongues. All are all apostles, are all prophets, are all teachers, do all work miracles, do all have gifts of healing, do all speak in tongues, do all interpret, now eagerly desire the greatest, the greater gift. Now, here's what I want you to hear before I go any further. Um, the way I, I was raised in my spiritual culture was to be filled with God, you had to speak in tongues. So at 13, I went forward to an altar. The pastor says, who wants to be filled with God? I want to be filled with God. So you go up there and you learn to be filled with God. You've got to talk in a funny language. And so you hear that in some charismatic cultures. And so I think at some point as a little boy, I mimicked what I heard. And he went, he's got it. And I went, I got it. <laughs> and um, so it was something for about 10 years or so, maybe even a little more than that. It was a practice. Um, 
And then there was this moment in my life where I was reflecting on thinking about this experience in my life. And um, I was talking to my mom. I'm so grateful for her. And I said, Mom, I know this is important to the culture that I grew up in. And I know this is important to uh, our faith, but I'm not sure... I'm not sure it's something that I fully identify with. And I'm like, would you be okay if I kind of let, set that aside, just keep following my faith? And I believe God's Spirit's working in me outside of that. And you know what she told me? She's like, oh, honey. She goes, you follow your own heart. God's leading you. And I was so grateful for that. Because most of my friends, most of the pastoral authorities in my life were telling me I was walking away from something essential. And I got to be honest. My heart was saying, Trust me. And if there's something that doesn't feel meaningful to you or isn't as valid or real to you, it's okay. But don't just mimic something because someone says that it's what you're supposed to do. Be connected to what's real and what's authentic in your heart. So uh, I don't speak in tongues today. um, But I will say this. There are a lot of people that I look up to and admire that do. And there's a lot that I've witnessed that there's nothing in their lives that I would emanate or, or want to follow. So isn't that crazy? So uh, I don't know where you're at with those kinds of gifts because there's, there's teaching in the church that says these gifts were only for that moment. There's teaching that says that these things are still active and alive. I gotta be honest. I'm not totally sure. I'm just trying, like all of you, to be as faithful I can be with what God is guiding my heart to and make sure that it isn't just about me but it's helping to be a blessing to the world around me and um, that's what I'm going to continue to do but here's what I don't want us to do Um, can we all just stay open because for me it's staying open to something that and I found this over and over in my journey it's something that maybe disappointed me or hurt me and then I entirely reject it and then I find there was a good expression of it a much more pure and beautiful way that it actually matters in the world. And I'm going, wait a minute, I know it hurt me, but now I see it in this person and it's good. And I don't know if you guys face paradoxes like that. So what I'm not going to do is spend the rest of my life living out of that hurt and then condemning the person who's doing something that is actually doing good, even though it was something that maybe in some way I didn't totally relate to or understand or was harmful to me. So Let's stay open, okay? Now I'm standing up. I'm getting a little energy. Um, okay. He goes on to say here, what he, he, he says in here, do all people do these things? No. But the church has been given these particular gifts. Here's what I believe. I don't think these are exhaustive. I think Paul's just naming some of these things. I think gifts are much more expansive. And it's not just a list of these things right here. We all have gifts. But he goes on to say this, and this is how I'll identify. Um, the true nature of God's spirit in someone's life, the true presence of the Holy Spirit. And this is why, even though I don't speak in tongues, and there may be some people that I look up to who do, and I inspire to live the kind of lives in Christ that they live, it's because their lives exemplify this, the greater gift, which is this. I will show you the more excellent way, Paul says. If I speak in tongues of men or of angels, but do not have love, I am only a resounding gong, resounding gong, or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have faith that can move mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. 
If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. Ultimately, the most powerful presence of God's Holy Spirit in our lives is that in some way, deep down in our hearts, God's love is revealed there. And that is, to me, the litmus test of of anything that is truly of God's spirit. And then the Bible goes on uh, to do this. And this is the last thing I'm going to read to you guys today. And by the way, the, the New Testament is filled with this kind of stuff. So I can't cover it all in one, one, one setting here. But the Bible goes on to say this. This is some of the evidence of God's spirit in our life. It says, but the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Like these are the things that someone whose life is truly breathing in the breath of God's spirit and then exhaling God's spirit in some way in the world, these are the things that are going to be most evident to their lives. So I want you guys to relax. I'm not saying we're going to be a speaking in tongue church. Um, But maybe some of you practice that in some way, and I want you to feel safe here. Maybe some of you just think that's crazy. Um, can I just tell you, there are some really good people who say that this is a very valuable, important part of their faith in God. And I don't, you know, I, I like it when it's private, and, um, you know, when, it, when people begin to do it in public, although I've been in places where that happens, it gets very confusing. And I think there's a lot of self-aggrandizement of people standing up and going, look how spiritual I am. And I just can't stomach that at all. So maybe for this moment, maybe it's best used if we're going to use it in our private life. And if for you it's going, I have no idea what he's talking about. You're okay too. Um, Because where you can start is start in grounding yourself in the fact that the very breath of life is the beginning of the presence and the power and the breath of God through his Holy Spirit in our lives. And if I could just start there and trust that, I'm going to end up where I'm supposed to be. So here's what I want to do. I'm going to invite the guys to come back up. Um, One of the pastoral mentors in my life is a Franciscan um, uh, father. His name's Richard Rohr. And a couple years ago, he was teaching on the Holy Spirit. And um, in his homily, he paused and he said, I just want you guys to be still for a moment. I'm going to invite us to do that this morning. And he read 65 descriptive names of the Holy Spirit's presence in our lives. And I remember a couple years ago just listening to that, and I just felt such peace and stillness. And uh, what I want to invite us to do this morning is that we come from this tradition. Um, If you go back and you look at our church fathers, the desert fathers, we're talking like second, third, fourth century They practice these moments of reflection, of meditation, of prayers, of breathing. Breathing is in our Christian tradition. We've forgotten that. Um, Waiting, being patient, which is something we need so badly, which I think is one of the most beautiful things that maybe we can invite the Holy Presence, uh, the Holy Spirit's presence into our lives is maybe we need to wait a little more before we act or before we jump into something. So here's what we're going to do. We're just going to take just a few moments, 
and we're going to wait. And what I'm going to do, I'm not going to read 65, you can relax, but I am going to read a few. And here's what I just want to invite you to do. How might one of these or a couple of these awaken and remind you of the voice of God's Holy Spirit in your life? So if you would, just close your eyes. Um, The guys are going to play. And I'm going to just read these. And you just wait. Maybe one of these speaks to your heart. And maybe one of these goes, that's a voice I need to trust. I need to listen a little more to. So here are some descriptive names. Inner breath. Just breathe. Maybe for some of us, we've never even given thought that that's a reminder of God's presence. What power that breath has. And to think we only access 20% of it. What if physically and spiritually we could access that inner breath more deeply? Indwelling presence of God. Reminder of God's nearness. His realness is our breath. Life of Jesus. Peacemaker. God, how we need peace. God, in our own hearts. Peace in our world. Compassionate observer. And this one goes with that truth seeker. Passionate observer and truth seeker. The hidden love of God. Internal hope. Flowing stream. Wind of change. Holy healing. Great compassion. Divine energy of life. And then God, here's this next one as all of our prayers. You who pray in us, through us, with us, for us, and in spite of us. God, hear our prayer this morning. Holy Spirit, would you meet each of our hearts 
in the ways that we need to be more fully alive, to be more fully human, God, in the way that you made us. God, would you help each of us live within this larger story that guides and directs and gives our lives more meaning and purpose and brings peace and joy and goodness and love to our own hearts and our own lives. Holy Spirit, teach us who you are and how you can be more fully present in us and through us. Amen. If you'll stand with me, I want to read this just as a dismissal. Because one of the final ways to understand this for me is when we say we believe in the Holy Spirit, we say this, we trust in life. We trust in life. Like this life is a gift. And so when we read that phrase in the Apostles' Creed, it says we believe in the Holy Spirit. I actually think we believe in life. That's what Christianity is all about. It's about life. And listen what this scholar says. He says to trust life means having faith that the flow of life will always bring us what we need, though not always what we want. If we really trust in life, we will not waste our energy on resentment, on wishing that our life circumstances were different from what they are. Rather, we will use our energy for responding appropriately to the given situation to bloom where we are planted. I love that. So as you leave here today, moms, thank you for the gift of life. Um, the Holy Spirit couldn't be present in our lives if it wasn't for you and dad meeting. Um, so we are so grateful for that. But it also, it's the breath of God. And may we all open our hearts to how we can believe in the Holy Spirit and we can access more fully these lives that we've been given. Grace and peace be with each of you.